Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out nhte.net and be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. Besides that website, you can also find the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and TuneIn Radio. We are on location once again at the 2018 Winter NAM Show in Anaheim, California, specifically at the Convention Center and right at the Tascam booth. My thanks to Tascam for having NHTE out here two years in a row and for all the great equipment that I have back home in Tampa where this show is recorded every week except for when we're on the road. And then I sometimes use the Tascam DR44WL as well as the Tascam Mini Studio Creator. And my thanks as well to my guest joining me here at the Tascam booth today from the group Love in a 38, Justin Emmerd. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Justin, uh, we have a lot that we want to cover today about you and the band, but tell the listeners first about the Love in a 38 song that we were just playing called Just Like Regret. Yeah, so for that song, it was really, uh, we have a single that we did a couple years ago called Lovely Lies, and it was kind of written as almost like a sequel to that song, just a really cool, boogie kind of rock song, uh, and it ended up being a very theatrical, ambitious song for us. We usually don't do uh, extended breakdowns, and some of the, the characteristics that that song features is a little outside of our, our toolbox, but... It just came so naturally and worked so well with the song. We just we just let it ride. So is it? Did it come naturally because you planned it out, or because it was a follow up to another song? Being that you're saying that you kind of stepped outside of what you normally do, did it doesn't sound like you set out to say let's do something we don't normally do. Yeah. So the the opening riff was really where where it started to be kind of like a lovely lies part two, and then once we actually started getting into the the meat of the song, uh, we realized the. Uh, the way the the verse was working was very much in uh, almost like the vein of Mama from uh, from My Chemical Romance, kind of like vaudeville kind of stuff with uh, the stabs and uh, chromatic ups and uh, increases in the in the pitch, and then we just kind of went into this really big bombastic chorus, and then uh, really for us the breakdown was the the part that was a little left to center for us, but it all worked really cool. We we still love playing that song. People love it when we play. It's got a, it's got a really cool dynamic live when we get to really accentuate those breakdowns and all the different hits throughout the song. This is episode 218 of Now Hear This Entertainment. I'm proud to have done the show on time every week for over four years, and I think that's the first time anyone ever used the word bombastic on <laughs> NHTE. Good word. <laughs> like Leave that. us 11 to 38. <laughs> so uh, we've also been blessed to have gotten listeners to this show from 132 countries around the world. Obviously, there will be people tuning into this episode because they're fans, followers, friends, family members of 11 to 38. But for those who are just being introduced to you and the band for the first time, uh, I, I'm not going to stand here and read off the list of who's in the band and who does what because the listeners don't want to hear me do it. So um, go ahead and, and introduce the listeners that aren't familiar with your band to 11 to 38. Sure. So our fearless leader is Ryan Hudson. He hails from great state of Oklahoma, and uh, he's been the lead singer of the band since the beginning. Um, I joined Love in the 38 back in 2010. I'm from here in Los Angeles. Not a very exciting story right there. I'm <laughs> not one of these people that did the, the cross-country mecca to come to Los Angeles and follow the dream. I kind of just was born here and found it. Um, and then our guitar player, Domo, he's from uh, 
San Bernardino area, so another local cat from Southern California. And then Clark Skelton is our drummer. He's the newest guy in the band. He's been in for about two years now, and he's from Northern California. Okay, so a couple of follow-up questions based on some things that I heard in there. Number one is that you said that you joined the band in 2010, but the band was founded actually in 2009. Is that correct? correct? Yes. So, so it was uh, it was Ryan that founded the band. So it was actually our original drummer Danny, him, and our original guitar player Krishna. The two of them started it. Uh, found Ryan hanging out in Hollywood. They got to talking and started writing. And then they kind of just started working together, and then they found Daniel Isaac, who was our original bass player, and uh, he quit to follow more of his other creative passions. And I actually met the band here at NAMM in 2009. Wow. wow. And uh, basically landed the audition for them right then and there. Wow. And uh, about a week and a half later, I had my first audition with them. And I think it was about two weeks after my first audition, I was on the road in Arizona with them for my first gig. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Well, that's cool, the power of the connections that get made here at NAMM. But I want to go back. So what were you doing before Love and a 38? So I was in a band actually out of here in Orange County called Spectra. And uh, we were playing the whiskey a lot back in the day. Wow. And back then, Love and a 38 was a Roxy band. So they used to play the Roxy a lot. So we'd be on two different ends of the strip playing shows at the same time. Uh, and I had been following Love and 38 even back then when I was doing the Spectra days. Uh, wow. Because we'd just be on different ends. Th- there was a scene back in uh, those early days. I know it's not that long ago. Uh, <laughs> but the scene has definitely changed a lot here in Los Angeles since then. But there was a sense of community and like a scene. There was a happening thing going on in Hollywood back then. Uh, so it would be cool. You could cruise down the strip at any given day and there'd be something going on. You could just pop into any club and there'd be, there'd be live music. There'd be bands. And it would be some of the same bands... Uh, every couple of weeks. So there, there's a sense of a community and a brotherhood amongst bands. See, I'm, I'm getting concerned because I talk a lot on this show, a lot, maybe too much, about how unfortunately, and it sounds like this is what you're saying, that the wrong CO word is what people are employing these days, which is everyone views each other as competition instead of the CO word, which is collaboration. And it sounds like you're saying you saw that sense of community and you don't see it anymore. Right. Uh, I think a lot of that, too, has to deal with the fact that some of the clubs that we used to play are, are shutting down or getting bought out by corporate uh, uh, okay. overseers. You know, the Roxy's owned by Golden Voice now. Uh, the old Sunset Strip House of Blues was torn down to make room for, I believe, luxury apartments. Um, so a lot of the places that we used to go play and hang out and watch bands are either not doing the local thing and helping out the local community or they're getting destroyed. Do you think that there's also an element of competition, unfortunately, that too many performers are looking at themselves and saying, you know, I, I've, I've got to just grab it all for myself? I think there's definitely a little bit of that, especially especially here in Los Angeles. With a lot of those clubs closing, there's not as much space for bands anymore. So I feel like it's a lot more every man for himself doggy, than, doggy, than yeah. it used to be. Uh, when there is a bunch of clubs, you can just cruise down the strip and see a bunch of bands. I feel like people weren't as threatened as much. There was more room, there was more space, uh, and more availability for bands to do their thing. But now that clubs are closing and getting smaller or doing the corporate thing, uh, there's less and less room. So I think either people are getting burnt out and scared, threatened by that, and just giving up on their hopes and dreams, and just taking the easy way out, trying to find a different career and not follow their passion, or they're just getting very inward thinking, like, how am I going to survive, you know? 
very serendipitous nonetheless though that that there was a point in time where you were with your former band and you were keeping an eye on loving the 38 all that time and the two of you ended up coming together i wonder I, I don't know if you can speak to what goes on in nashville since you're not there but i'm thinking of the market that you're describing here and we do hear so much about all these people that moved to nashville and then we hear about how many of them end up leaving because their dream didn't pan out do you have a sense for that at all? Do you have your finger on the pulse of people who move here because, like you said, you weren't one of them, but people who do maybe move here because they go, oh, it's Los Angeles, and you know, I want to go make it there with my music, and they just end up burning out? Yeah, I think a lot of people have this postcard dream of what it's like to be in Los Angeles, or even just what it's like to be a musician. Uh, and once they get here and they see what the hustle and grind is really like, I think that fantasy just immediately gets shattered for them, and they kind of go into a sense of shock. And they're just not willing to put in the amount of work because they, they don't realize before they get out here how cutthroat this industry and the market is that they just don't want to put that in. So I have to ask the obvious question before we move on because we, we got off on a little bit of a tangent there, which I loved, by the way. Just fantastic conversation so far. But before we move on, again, thinking of those listeners who are being introduced to the band for the first time, where does the name Love in a 38 come from? That story changes with every interview we have ever done for the last <laughs> eight or nine years I have been in the band. So just for the sake of going and following tradition's sake, I'm going to say someone <laughs> fell in love with the singer of a 38 special cover band, and they got inspired. Uh, but really, it's, it's just changed every time. Uh, I don't think I've ever, even as the bass player inside the band, ever gotten a straight answer of what the hell actually caused that name. <laughs> and you have a story about... Um being asked about the band name by someone of pretty pretty significance yeah uh it was a really weird surreal moment uh i just wanted to ask him everything about himself and not answer anything about myself uh but we actually played the sunset street music festival in 2012 which was back when there was a scene in la and uh we were kind of like an ambassador artist we played every year from like 2010 through 2013 i want to say um, and 2012, the honoree was The Doors, and then Marilyn Manson was a headliner at the festival the following day. Whoa. Uh, so as one of the featured artists, we got to go to the ceremony which honored The Doors and celebrated their history and their ties to Los Angeles and mm. the music scene out here. Um, and we ended up walking the red carpet next to The Doors. Uh, and we didn't talk about this earlier, but a, a quick little tangent there. Uh, we were doing an interview, I believe it was either with Fox or the Associated Press, and I turned to my left because Ryan was answering a question. And just right past his nose, I saw Robbie Krieger, Ray Manzarek, and then Marilyn Manson at the very oh end. Gosh. And it wow. was just the weirdest thing. Wow. I'm sure there, there's still footage somewhere on the cutting room floor about me just turning and just realizing and processing what happened. And just this very slow like change as I was realizing who was all on the red carpet. And you know, unfortunately, there was never any picture taken of that moment. But that's something that I'm probably going to remember till till the grave. I was going to say, in your head there was a picture taken. But but continue with the story about the band name yeah. in that instance. So I was at this Rock Against MS event a couple of years back at the Whiskey. And I was upstairs in the artist lounge hanging out. And this photographer that actually was there that night on the red carpet doing the photography introduced me to Robbie Krieger from The Doors. And she said, this is Justin Emmer from Love and the 38. Just wanted to introduce you. And she, she told him that we were there at the festival. He's like, oh, cool. So eleven and thirty-eight. I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "So where did that name come from?" And immediately, I was thinking, "Okay, I just want to ask you all the questions <laughs> I can possibly ask about the Doors and life on the road when you were doing it." 
uh, I was like, I told him the same thing. I told him, you know, I've never gotten a straight answer. I have no idea. It's changed with every interview. And he kind of chuckled. And he's like, yeah, that's the way Jim was too. And wow. so it was this weird wow. common ground that I ended up having with the doors. And that's still a statement that I find so weird saying uh, with honesty. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Wow, I love it. I love it. Uh, so the band, I mean, to, some of the stories that you've told already, to, to have that kind of success and, and the things that, that you've been doing more recently, but yet this is this is all DIY, yes? I mean, 11 to 38 is, is, is the poster child for, for indie artists. Yeah, absolutely. We've, uh, we've had some offers from people in the past, but they haven't been the right offers. Uh, and we've also kind of just taken an approach that no one's going to work harder for you than yourself. Uh, so we just put the boot to the ground and just do it ourselves, grind it out. All of our sponsorships that we have, uh, I've gotten those for the band and all the stuff that we've done at NAMM uh, throughout the years. It's always been us making that stuff happen and you know, kind of finding our own way. We, I, I like to compare it to uh, a snowplow. And, you know, there's just feet of snow and you can't see anything, but you take that snowplow through and it, it finds its own path. That's kind of the way I feel the band operates. But you just described some of what you have done for the band. Is there ever a time where it's kind of like, well, at the end of the day, it's Ryan's band? Or is it, hey, we're all in this together and, and the only way we're going to succeed is if we all chip in? Yeah, we, we have an all for one, one for all kind of mentality in this band. Uh, even with songwriting, uh, any credits we have on records, no matter who puts more work into what song, everyone gets a 25% cut. Uh, wow. No one regardless. And we have plenty of songs. Uh, Ryan and Demo have both brought in song ideas that are pretty much fully realized. Uh, and we'll just go in there and tweak it a little bit. And everyone just gets the same cut on everything. Because we don't, we don't believe in someone getting more than the other. If one of us succeeds, we want everyone in the band to, to succeed with us. Speak to anyone who's listening right now that is an up-and-comer that's in a band that's shaking their head and disagreeing with what you're saying. What's your advice to them as to, as to why they need to consider this approach instead of saying, well, I put in all the work, so he shouldn't get any of the credit? I just think the best way for a band to work is democratically. Uh, everything about the way we work has been very equal, uh, whether it's songwriting uh, doing shows, what, whatever the case may be, there's always an equality that we all feel. No one feels more entitled or with more authority than anyone else. You know, Clark's in the band the, the least, but Ryan doesn't look at him as any less of a member or contributor to the band as himself, me, Demo. We're all just, we're in this together. And, you know, even when it comes to band ideas and making uh, a vote on something, everyone gets same equal vote as anyone else. No one has executive power to sway a vote. Uh, so I, I think it's just the best way to do it. Everyone, if you're in this band to be in this band, everyone should just work for it at the same level and just, you know, work, just work at it, hustle. I'm always interested in asking an artist about, you know, taking pride in what you've accomplished versus not getting too comfortable and just sitting there and wallowing in. Look at how good we're doing. Because, you know, the flip side of it is you do have to take a moment to kind of pat yourself on the back and say, look how much we've accomplished. But how, how do you strike that balance? Because 11 to 38, as we talked about being completely DIY, just a, a 100% indie band, a worldwide following that's it's very impressive, and it's something that you should be proud of. But like I say, there's that. St how do you walk that line? Really, we don't. <laughs> um, 
one of our biggest accomplishments lately, when we released the Nomads record uh, two years ago, Universal Studios actually featured the music video for Oh My God on their jumbo screen at City Walk. Uh, so there was wow. a 40-foot screen playing wow. our video. And the joke was Clark's the shortest in the band, so we were like, look at that, 40, 40 feet tall on the screen, and he finally looks like a regular-sized guy. <laughs> um, but when, when that happened and Universal told us, like, hey, we, we want to bring your video in, play it four times a day for, like, eight months, uh, that night when that happened, uh, I was actually going to rehearsal the night that it debuted on Universal. So I actually stopped on the way to rehearsal and took a picture of the video and just really took in that moment of like, this is happening, this is so cool. Then that weekend, we actually got together as a band, hung out, and uh, just celebrated that, that oh, accomplishment. Nice. And, nice. and the release of the, the record and the music video being featured at Universal. And just had, had a night to really enjoy ourselves and see the, the rewards of our work. But most of the time, it's just, all right, this was awesome. High five. Let's get back at it. So did that happen organically, or did you or someone else in the band kind of push to, hey, this is our video, you should consider using it? We've had a pretty good relationship with the people over at Universal. Uh, Hard Rock Universal actually has one of my old bases on display as part of their memorabilia collection. Uh, so because of things like that, Universal's kind of had us on their radar. So we actually released the video for Oh My God here at NAM two years ago, and that was on the Friday afternoon of NAM. That Monday, there was an email in my inbox from the head of uh, the Five Tower stage who runs the, the Jumbotron. said, send me the file I want the video for, wow. for Universal. Wow. Outstanding. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is, if someone asks you to a lunch meeting or dinner meeting, look at the menu online ahead of time so you know what you're going to order. You want to be able to give your full attention to the person who called the meeting rather than missing out on what they're saying because you are taking too long with your nose buried in the menu. They will respect the fact that you are listening 100% to what they are saying. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. That's really great to know, isn't it? Very helpful, right? Bruce gives out a tip just like that on every episode of this show, and there's an easy way to get all those that he gave out over the first 160 episodes. The ebook series called Bruce's Bonus Book contains four volumes and they're all available for purchase and immediate download at www.brucesbonusbook.com. Order yours now for helpful tips that you can apply to your career right away. I'm talking with Justin Emmerd from the band Love and a 38. Check them out online at loveanda38music.com. It's the numbers 38, so loveanda38music.com. They are on social media being Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keep up with the band online for all the news as well as where and when you can see them perform live. Keep up with us online at nhte.net. We also have a Facebook group that you can join to go and talk with other listeners of the show, uh, even one or two or three past guests, and yours truly uh, in that group as well, obviously. Just go to nhte.net and click on the button that says Join Our Facebook Group, or if you just want to search on Facebook itself, the name of the group is NHTE Listeners. So, Justin, you just started to allude to 
your album, uh, which now we have to say is two years ago since we're into 2018, uh, called Nomads. I'm going to, again, I'm tempted like before with the members of the band and who plays what. Instead of me describing the album, tell the listeners about that release. So Nomads was a pretty uh, expansive record for us. There's a lot of different things. There's a song, Aubrey Loves Ojos, which is kind of like an anti-ballad. And then there's songs like I Won't Wait that are just fist-raising anthems. Uh, So for us, the name Nomads not only uh, refers to our journey as musicians and being road warriors, but also the fact that we hoped that this record would be a musical journey that people went on from different genres within rock and roll. I like it. I like it. Uh, Ten songs, and it was recorded in Ryan's studio. Yeah, we actually, we're we're that DIY. We built our own studio and (laughs) recorded it ourselves. So can you just talk about some of the challenges of, of creating, of producing that and, and, and doing it you know, at Ryan's place instead of just going off to a studio and having someone else do it for you? Uh, for us, it actually, it was just the, the thing we had to do. Uh, we, we've been just so DIY that the idea of recording an album on our own just made sense. We've done a lot of recording throughout the years, starting in 2012, self-producing and self-recording. So for us, it just made sense to just keep doing it that way. We've had really good success with the sounds. And Ryan is just such a hustler with the way he always wants to learn and is always on YouTube and different channels and forums, checking out new techniques that he can implement into tracking drums to get the right kind of sounds that we're looking for. Uh, So he's really active in figuring out different ways to record and make the best products. Because, again, we feel the the ones that are going to work the hardest for you is yourself. Now, when it comes to something like uh, Revolver Magazine said about Nomads, they said, quote, sounds like a hard-rocking Foo Fighters cruising through the desert, end quote. Reviews like that, is that you? Is it someone else in the band going and trying to get reviews for it? Or, again, just like when I asked about the Universal situation, was it just organic and they found your release? The Revolver thing actually happened because we hired a publicist for the the release of the record, and he actually knew some people at, at Revolver, so he got some... Some stuff for us in that. We actually had an advertisement for the record in there, too. Uh, and it was great. We fully agree that that's what our sound is. We're just a hard rockin' band that's got a lot of influence from the blues. So, you know, Crossroads and stuff, it seems deserty. Uh, so it seemed like a very accurate description of what we sound like. Okay, so that was the 2016 release. And now fast forward to present day. You have an EP that you're going to put out in 2018. Yeah, we've got an EP coming out in about two to three months. And it's, it's very much in the same vein. We're, we're a rock and roll band, but we do like to experiment and, and grow as artists. We don't like to ever be complacent and just stop in one area and be happy with where we are. We, we like to explore and adventure into different territory. Uh, so for this EP, uh, the lead-off single is Get Up and Go, which is a song idea I brought in. And we realized that you know, once we started playing it and rehearsing and figuring out everything for the orchestration, that if we went into an open G tuning on the guitar, Domo could start bringing in some slide work. Uh, so that was an organic kind of departure from what we normally do. Uh, we've never really worked in open tunings before that song, but it worked. It, it was fine the way it was, but just that little bit of tweak just added so much extra color and flair to the song. And it's just, it's weird to think that that song almost didn't have slide guitar and everything that wow. it's, it's got. Wow. That little twang spanking attitude. And so how many songs will be on the EP once it comes out? Should be about five. 
Okay, and uh, listeners, we are going to play Get Up and Go at the end of today's interview. Uh, in the meantime, just talk about some of the touring that 11 to 38 has done because I know that uh, the band has gone throughout the southwest up and down the, the west coast of the U.S. Yeah, so we've done a lot of touring here in the States. It's been really cool. We've found a lot of really, really cool venues and a lot of really cool people out on the road. Uh, we've done a lot of stuff in South by Southwest over the years, too, and that's always been a really fun and exciting time to get out there to the live music capital of the, of the country and just get out there and do our thing. And uh, meanwhile, here at NAMM, uh, you, you performed yesterday, I believe. I'm going to ask you what else you'll do while you're here, but we should also talk about a lot of sponsorships that Love Into 38 has. Yeah, so we, we, we have a lovely distinction and pleasure of working with some pretty incredible companies within the music industry. Myself and Domo are sponsored by Fender. Uh, I use their jazz bass. P-Bass, and they actually just sent me a Jaguar bass last week for the performance here at NAMM, uh, just to show off their product a little bit more. And uh, Domo uses all their guitars as well as their amps. So we work with them. I work with Ashdown Amps out of the UK for my bass rig. D-Dario Strings, Gator Cases I actually got earlier this year as well. And they've been a pleasure to work with. All these companies are really cool. They they really support the music and bands. So it's, it's really great to work with companies that are so in line with us. And we also work with uh, Boulder Creek Acoustics. I've been working with them for, gosh, probably, I want to say the better part of 10 years for acoustic wow. basses. And wow. they've, been, they've been really great. Wow, that's a long time. Smaller company out of uh, Northern California, which is really cool. And you yourself, while we're on the topic of NAM, you do work with the NAM Foundation. And uh, tell the listeners about what you just did a few days ago with uh, the schools. Yeah, so I work with the NAM Foundation, which supports music education in the schools. And for the better part of four years, I've been doing these day of service events with NAM, where we go to a school here in Anaheim, and we go teach them how to play music. NAM donates a check, and we just help out the schools. And so I've been doing that for four years. They actually got me involved with their advocacy work here in Sacramento, as well as at the federal level in Washington, D.C., which has been absolutely amazing it's been incredible experiences i met a lot of really cool people and here at now i've been able to see a lot of the uh the fly-in and delegates that i've worked with over the this past year and it's been it's been great they're all such wonderful people work for some really incredible companies here at nam in the music product world and uh this past tuesday we went to orange grove elementary and i took it upon myself to start my own project with fender which they were really surprised and kind of off put by wait you, what what do you want to do? Like you're one of our artists. You what what do you have in mind? Uh, it was just a very weird thing for them to hear from one of their artists because mo- most of the time with sponsorships, it's just all right. I'm going to use the product. I'm going to love the product, and for that, you are going to love me as an artist. Uh, so when I hit up the product manager, I was like, Hey, I got an idea for you. I want to run by you. You have time for a call sometime? And he's like, Um, yeah, sure. What what is it? Uh, So I told him that I had the idea of donating some new instruments to the city of Anaheim. Uh, When I was in D.C., we worked at this school that was a Title I inner-city school that was funded under the VH1 State of the Music program. Mm. And the school was just in shambles with their music program. Uh, They had some working instruments, but a lot of them were not working. And within those instruments, there were ones that were just beyond repair that could not be fixed. And... One of the ladies on the trip that lives there in D.C., she actually took it upon herself to pay for the repair of everything herself. Wow. 
Wow. And it just so happened that I believe her grandmother or her great-grandmother went to that school. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it was something right out of a movie. Uh, <laughs> but that, that whole situation with the instruments not working stuck with me because I feel like so much when we're talking about music education and funding for these schools, we focus so much on the teachers, that we need teachers, we need to pay teachers. And it's not so much about the instruments. And it's like that's equally as important. Uh, you know, they say give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach a man how to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. But if you are at a lake and you don't have tools to fish, you're out of luck. So, like, the tools that you need to teach and work with are just as important as someone to teach. Uh, so I took it upon myself to talk to Fender and see if they'd be willing to help out. And I asked for one of each so I could help the school. They were willing to give me more. Wow. So we wow. gave to that school and we ended up giving another six instruments to the rest of the city oh, of Anaheim. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. So for the listeners who are up-and-coming artists, up-and-coming performers, you know, my personal vision of that is, hey, if you get an opportunity to go into those schools, I'm sorry, I'll admit it to you. I'm a promoter. Like, all I think of is, hey, this is that many more kids that are going to be exposed to 11 to 38. Like, yay, we might make some new fans. Is that the wrong attitude to have? Is it, Bruce, you know, just go in and, and do right and, and the good will come back to you some other way or is it it's a business and you do got to kind of try to promote your band a little bit for me I got my start in music in elementary school uh, my parents had me in lessons when I was a kid with private teachers and it just didn't stick but then my school got a music teacher in fourth grade and like the planets aligned lightning sparks were going off like Frankenstein's monster <laughs> and like I, I couldn't be stopped after that uh, I was just playing everything I learned, classical piano, jazz piano. Three years later, I wow. went behind my parents' back and put a down payment on a guitar at Sam Ash. <laughs> uh, it was, like, relentless, and just you, you couldn't stop me from playing music at that point. So for me, I have music education to thank for my career and what I've done. And I look back on my life right now. I know I'm 30 years old, so I don't have that much. But in 30 years, I look back on some of the highlights of my life, and probably five out of five my top moments would be related to music. So for me, it's really important that kids have that opportunity because I don't want to see them robbed of those cool opportunities that I've had. Uh, so for me, it's absolutely about just doing the right thing and making sure these kids have access. Uh, even if I see a kid somewhere that's playing a guitar, like I can't turn off the switch. Like I just I have to go talk to them and see what their story is. Uh, like I've tried to just stop myself, and I, I actually physically cannot restrain myself if I see an opportunity to talk to a kid about music. Uh, but I do think it's cool to be able to go in as myself, a musician with long hair and tattoos, as opposed to a suit and tie older gentleman that would go in and probably be a more traditional idea of what a music right. teacher is right. and work with these kids. Because they're like, wait, are you in a band? I was like, yeah, and guess what? I started here. And then all of a sudden, everything like clicks and they're like, oh, well, I can do that. I didn't know I, like I could it. do that. I like it. Uh, so for me, that's, that's the thing I like about doing the music education stuff is being able to use the band to try and inspire. I don't use it to promote. I try and use it just to inspire and have that different angle as a teacher than a traditional music teacher would. Hats off to that fourth grade music teacher, by the way. Yeah, she was actually, it was cool. She was at the show yesterday, and wow. I got to introduce her to a couple of people that were there. Wow. Um, and it was funny, I, I joked with her, I was like, you know, this is probably the first time you've seen me perform without you conducting me. <laughs> uh, so it was cool to have her out of the show. It was just this real cool full circle thing to be playing the NAMM show in front of all those people and having my music teacher that started me on my journey there watching. It was, sure. it was just For the coolest sure. thing. That's awesome. And uh, you also 
led a session here at NAM. Tell the listeners about that. Yeah, so when I was in Washington, D.C., one of these ladies, Cindy Cook, she was just really infatuated with the idea of me being there. I was one of the youngest people on this this fly-in, uh, probably there with the longest hair outside of any of the women. Uh, so it was a very weird thing for me to be a part of. Uh, and usually they don't open it up to people outside of uh, NAM, But because of the amount of extensive work I've done with the foundation, they were willing to give me a shot. And I'm really happy to, to say that I'm going to be back in May again this year, going back to, to fight for education and capital. And so what was the session that you gave here? So this lady, Cindy, actually knows David, who runs the tech tracks around here at NAM, And we got to talking one night. I told her about these sessions and everything. And I got contacted over the summer to lead a seminar about how to acquire sponsorships for your music project. So I took everyone through the, the logistics of a sponsorship, what you need to know about how deals work, and what artists should do to be able to gain the attention of an artist rep, as well as what they need to do to send into a rep to be able to land that deal. And what they should not do. <laughs> yeah. Which also, if, if anyone's wondering, don't ask for free stuff. <laughs> On a related note, since we are at the Tascam booth, you do have experience with Tascam gear. Yeah, we use the US-1800 interface for our recording software, and it's, it's great. It's got all the right inputs we need, so we do a lot of live tracking. And so for what we do, it's just worked really well with the different preamps and everything. And uh, yeah, we've been using it since 2012, and it's been reliable, and we can count on that to get the results that we need. Outstanding. Well, as mentioned before, we're going to close today with the 11 to 38 song called Get Up and Go. Um, I guess maybe since you talked about it a little bit before in terms of the instrumentation and, and kind of the direction of it, maybe just tell the listeners what this song is about uh, before we wrap things up. It's just rock and roll, get up and go. <laughs> it's basically our hustle, you know? Well, Justin, really great to meet you, and uh, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today, and congratulations on all the success that you and the band are having. Thank you for having me. It's been great. You bet. Listeners, that'll do it for this week's episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to Justin Emmerd from the band Love and a 38. Check them out online at loveanda38music.com. That's loveanda38music.com. And engage with them on social media. So that means like their Facebook page, follow them on Twitter and Instagram. For that matter, tell them that you heard Justin and their music on Now Hear This Entertainment. Keep up with the band online for information when their new EP comes out, as well as for when and where you can see them perform live. Again, our show is on nhte.net, and there are icons that you can click on there for us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. As I mentioned before, there's a Facebook group that you can join to talk with other listeners of the show, to talk with a couple of former guests, obviously myself. That is called NHTE Listeners. If you want to just search on Facebook, or go to nhte.net and click on the button that says join our Facebook group. Thanks for listening. We'll send you out today with another song from 11 to 38. This is the one that Justin just talked about. It's called Get Up and Go.